We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The regular season is in the books and the playoffs are here. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. What's going on, Matt? How are you? Uh, I'm good. I feel like I'm busier now than I actually am most weeks, which feels really wrong uh and weird but uh i think that's actually that's actually the case but just you know happy to be done with 2020 uh happy to be done with the regular season and looking forward to playoff football nice um can i ask as to why you are busier than normal uh yeah so you know still doing fantasy projections so it's not as if there are as many to do uh but i still have to do them uh and then still doing um you know like a trends piece uh for the early lines and so because it's you know because there are playoff games uh, and because you don't know in advance what the playoff matchups are going to be uh there's less prep time that you have like i can normally like look at uh, a game in advance like a week ahead and be like okay this team is going to be favored the spread will probably be you know like two to four points uh and if that's the case then i like this team but because we don't know in advance what the playoff matchups are going to be all of that work kind of has to be done as quickly as possible right after the lines are released. Um, but you still want to get the piece live as quickly as possible, but you also want to cover like all of the games on the slate. So it just means that there's uh, a lot of work that has to be done pretty quickly. Uh, and then for the wide receiver and cornerback piece uh, this week, I kind of had the dumb idea, although I wasn't the only person who convinced myself of this, but I had the dumb idea of instead of just focusing on the shadow matchups, I would uh, kind of break down the matchups for every every game. Um, but I'm doing that in kind of more depth than I was expecting. Um, and so that basically means that instead of writing like one piece that's kind of long, I'm writing six pieces that are not as long, but, you know, like decently in depth. So uh, just a lot that <laughs> a lot that I'm trying to get done. Yeah, well, I hear you. So this is actually my final week where I'm not also in school. So on top of, you know, trying to help run a large part of Rotoviz and doing my day job, I will be adding back in school uh, starting next week. So I definitely feel yeah. you on that, man. Every time it's, it feels like tough. things. Yeah, it is. Every time it feels like things start to 
start to slow down, you know, there's just more to, to come back around. So I always have this struggle of like, do I have less responsibilities and things to cover in season versus outside of the season? Because, you know, there's prospect season, there's building up to the draft and there's making sure that the draft coverage gets out. Then there's getting, you know, new sets of tools up and making sure that they're ready as we head in towards like yeah. peak fantasy draft season. There's always something. Uh, anyways, those There's, are th- there is there is no off season really there there is no off season you mentioned uh, everything that leads up towards the draft uh, I forgot I I wrote a a uh, draft prop piece today just kind of on the fly because I saw uh, you know there were lines out there for um, number one overall pick um, you know I think it's a near lock that is going to be Trevor Lawrence um, but at twelfth uh, one odds uh, at Bet MGM you could bet on him whereas it most books it's you know like 20 to one or 50 to one um so i'm saying that incorrectly you get what i'm saying it's one to 12 but uh so minus 1200 odds so anyway you know i i saw that line thought it was a good line grabbed it wrote it up uh and of course it ended up being a longer article than i had originally intended because i don't want to really like half-ass the analysis on it uh so anyway yeah it's just it feels like even when the regular season ends a draft season begins and then it starts all over again. Well, there's a couple of names out there of people who are going to be looking to start all over. And that is some of these uh, head coaches, Matt, that will no longer be with their teams in 2021. Anthony Lynn out as the Chargers head coach, Adam Gase out as the Jets head coach and Doug Marone out of Jacksonville. Any thoughts on these firings? Uh, I have a thought on your very professional transition right there. I, uh, I didn't want you. that to go uh, unnoticed. <laughs> that was that was smoothly done. That was like a, a point guard with like a no look pass. It was very good. I appreciate that. Um, well, we've been doing we've been doing this yeah. for a while now, so you know I think we're we're, yeah. we're getting there slowly. So uh, with these guys being fired, I don't think there's anything really surprising. There was maybe, uh, you know, a little bit of back and forth as to whether Anthony Lynn uh, would be fired. But um, I don't think that's much of a surprise. Uh, Chris Raybon at Action Network uh, lovingly refers to him as uh, D'Anthony Quinn um, because he's he's so similar to Dan Quinn, uh, who was fired uh, from the Falcons in terms of like his ability to underperform Vegas expectations. Uh, And, you know, you saw that anytime the Chargers could screw something up in a close game, they repeatedly did under the Anthony Lynn regime. So, uh, you know, they clearly have their quarterback of the future. Um, They have a pretty, they have the bones of a good defense, even if it underwhelms at times, they have some really good playmakers on offense. Uh, yeah. Now's the time to, to get rid of Anthony Lynn who helped build the team uh, and get it to this point. Um, but has also really underperformed throughout his tenure. Hopefully they can find, I would say an offensive minded head coach uh, who can bring it all together. And then hopefully he can bring in a good defensive coordinator who can make the most of what they have there. It feels like a team uh that if if just tweaked a little bit could compete uh i mean certainly not for an afc west title because you know kansas city is there but could compete for a wild card spot as early as next year uh you know with the jets with the jags i mean we're talking about like the two worst teams in the league not a surprise that uh both of their head coaches are gone uh, i will be interested to see who ends up going to those spots. Uh, Eric Bianami is someone who's been mentioned. Urban Meyer is someone who's been mentioned like potentially in Jacksonville. Um, but uh, yeah, who, who really knows who's going to end up in those places, but not a surprise at all, especially that Gase and uh, Marone are gone. For sure. And I think one of the most interesting things to come out of all of this will be what happens with Sam Darnold. Are the Jets going to be able to move him somewhere else when they bring in their new passers? Is there any chance the new head coach will want to stay with him? Because I feel like you could make a case, and, and I'd imagine that there might be coaches out there that, that have seen things that they like from Darnold that they'd want to work with, and you really haven't seen a great look at perhaps what he can do because Gase has just not been the type of coach that's really positioning his team um, in any type of context to where they're going to be able to shine. So I'll, I'll be really curious to see what happens with Darnold. We're going to talk a little bit more about Jacksonville uh, later on. So 
I am sure people have heard this, but it was the highest scoring season in NFL history. The first season with over 12,000 points scored 700 higher than the previous record that had been set in 2013. Just an absolute explosion of offensive output. I definitely think that some of this relates to the really weird year that it was because of COVID. But at the same time, you know, teams are just starting to score more and more. Just any thoughts from you, Matt, on how much of an outlier you think that this season may have been as a result of all of the weird things going on and uh, just any higher level takeaways as a result of that? Yeah, I mean, I think entering the season... Uh, you know, some pretty smart bettors were talking about, you know, not blindly betting overs at the beginning of the year, but that we would probably see higher scoring uh, above expectations uh, early in the year uh, and kind of using 2011 and, and the lockout situation there as a guide where early in the year uh, overs for a lot of games were hitting. Uh, and, you know, the theory is that defenses don't really have the time to coalesce, uh, you know, because they don't have basically any training camp. Uh, and so offenses in that situation will have an edge. Um, so I think we saw a little bit of that early on, but some of it is also just, you know, I think you have that more of like wide open mentality that we've seen in college football for years, continuing to percolate in the NFL and work its way into more offenses as you have more dual threat quarterbacks uh, enter the league and get chances to produce um, and, you know, more coaches coming from the college ranks. Um, it just opens up everything. And so I think that's part of what we've seen, but certainly some of it I would imagine is also just COVID related because of really all of the chaos that we've had this year. For sure. So the playoffs are set. I imagine we're going to see some high-scoring playoff games, uh, which is more, even more of a reason that you need to check out the 2020-2021 world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge because it is back. This contest was launched in 2003. The world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge is entering its 18th year, and it's the largest and most exciting playoff contest in all season-long fantasy football. Now, with a record-shattering $500,000 grand prize and close to $1.1 in total guaranteed prizes. There's no draft, no salary cap, no convoluted rules. Just pick 12 players and let them ride to the Super Bowl. With a $200 entry fee and a chance to win half a million, this is the way to watch playoff football I love these contests, a lot of fun. And I mean, it, we, already, right, we have this really weird situation with the playoffs this year, Matt, which is we have six games on Wild Card Weekend, only two teams on bye, which adds kind of a new wrinkle to this contest. Whereas before, there was four teams where you weren't sure what you should do with their players because they were going to be off. Now there's only two teams. Changes the dynamics of that contest, but definitely go check it out. The world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes will both be on by map. What's your update on the MVP race? Uh, I mean, it's it very much seems like it's Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Uh, just totally dunked on Mahomes the past two weeks. You know, Mahomes didn't have a good game in week 16 and then did nothing in week 17. And part of that is because his team was so good, he wasn't needed in week 17. But, uh, you know, Rodgers has had a year that is very much on par with what he did five years ago when he won the MVP award. Um, you know, Mahomes, I think, is really the only other challenger at the quarterback position. Uh, and this is a quarterback-driven award. Uh, as much as I would love to see Derrick Henry win. I don't think that that's actually going to, and I would love to see it because I have a ticket on it, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, Derrick Henry obviously had a fantastic year too. And I imagine there might be, you know, like a couple of token MVP votes that go his way just because of how good he is on his own and what he means to his offense. But uh, I think Aaron Rodgers will probably get like, I don't know, maybe like 44 of the 50 possible MVP votes. Like, I, I think he's going to win it pretty handily. Yeah, that's kind of where my head is at, too. Um, I want to do one quick thought experiment, though, right now. 
let's say that you take Derrick Henry and you put him on, um, let's just say the, the, the NFL team that has the worst offensive line, um, maybe, I don't know, put him on like the Jets or the Broncos, a team not good on offense, not the greatest offensive line. What do you think Derrick Henry's performance looks like across an entire season in, in that configuration? I mean, I think he probably gets injured for one um, because, I mean, I know that sounds weird, but like one of the great things about Derrick Henry is that like, and his offensive line is good, but he, he doesn't take a ton of big hits because he's often being tackled by guys at the second and third level. Um, but if he had a worse offensive line, he would be getting hit by much bigger guys uh, and often like in a more vulnerable position. So anyway, I think if he had a worse offensive line, one, he, he wouldn't make it through the entire season. Uh, and then two, obviously he wouldn't have as many yards, I think on a, a per game basis on a per carry basis. Uh, if his offensive line is worse, if the offense is worse, he's just not getting as many carries per game. Um, so, I mean, I think he would still have over a thousand yards, but I think it would be pretty ugly. Got it. All right. Um, Cam Newton closes out 2020 with 41 points. He ran for 12 rushing touchdowns and 592 yards in the season. Only eight passing touchdowns, though, 2,657 yards. Do you think we see him as a starting quarterback next season? And is this the end of his fantasy line? This Is this it for Cam Newton as a fantasy yeah. player? I don't, I don't think we see him as a starter because, um, or at least if we do, it's not like a week one starter. It's like, he's the backup somewhere and he ends up coming in because the guy in front of him really sucks or gets injured. But, um, and you've seen firsthand, you know, with his performance this year in new England, I don't imagine that the Patriots actually won him back next year. And just based on how he's played, anyone else would really want him to be their number one guy either. So, I mean, you want to say, yeah, like, I think this is kind of the end, the end for him, like at least the end for him as like a serious, like viable starting option. Maybe he ends up having kind of a second half of his career somewhere as someone who occasionally comes in and, you know, because he's got the running ability, you know, you can grab him off of waivers and he does something. But I mean, for the most part, uh, I don't, I don't see anything with him moving forward. I don't either. I mean, I feel like to a large extent, the Patriots kind of maximized what they could get out of cam. And yes, they did not have any weapons to speak of at wide receiver and perhaps he could have been a little bit better as a passer had he had a better cast to work with but the thing is if you look at the teams in the league that need quarterbacks that could actually be looking at cam they don't really have a situation that all of a sudden elevates him back to what we would have seen from him prior so I just would be surprised if there's teams that really feel like they're positioning themselves in the best case that they can by bringing in cam. I mean, I still think he can get it done as a rusher, but the passing just isn't there. Um, I don't know if this is the end of him from a fantasy perspective, because I think there's going to be a week here and a week there, but as far as like a trustable, even startable type of player goes, uh, I mean, I think that those days are behind us, but that brings me to Kind yeah, of, say, no one will ever draft him again right. in, in fantasy. Yeah. Right. Um, but this brings me to, to just kind of thinking about how there definitely has been a bit of a changing of the guard at the position from a fantasy perspective. That list of names at the top of the list is very different than it would have been five years ago. What are your thoughts about players like maybe Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger? Maybe I'll even toss Matthew Stafford in there. These are guys that at one point people would have been actively seeking out to draft that they would have been excited about having on their team. But are we at a point now where the Ryans and the Roethlisbergers are just any other guy? Or is there any hope that we see them bounce back to a position where they're like a top six quarterback? With Roethlisberger, I don't think so. With Ryan, it's not as if he had a bad year. 
Uh, it's just he doesn't add any of the like the rushing, but he like for the second straight season actually has led the league in completions. Uh, he's throwing the ball quite a bit. He had a league high 626 attempts this year, 4,500 yards passing, 26 touchdowns. That's exactly what he had last year with fewer interceptions. If he gets Julio Jones back, which is you know kind of like a big if, but you know if Julio returns. If he stays healthy in 2021, I think we basically see something pretty similar next year out of Ryan to what we saw this year, which is, uh, you know, like a a borderline QB1, QB2, uh, and a guy who, when he has his number one receiver or when he has a really good matchup, you absolutely would be fine with starting. Um I don't, I don't think there's anything especially wrong with Ryan. I mean, he's only going to be 36. It's not as if like his arm looks dead or anything. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with Ryan with Roethlisberger. I mean, it, I don't think this will be his last year, but it feels like it probably should be. I mean, his, his arm, like people talk about Drew Brees as if his arm has been dead for years. Like Roethlisberger's arm is way worse. I think like from my, uh, you know, like non, uh, like non-talent evaluator. I Roethlisberger looks far worse than Drew Brees does. So uh, I think, I think, you know, Breeze, this is his last year, but this should be Roethlisberger's last year. Yeah, you kind of hit upon one of the things that made me want to bring up this question, which is with these younger players that we see at the top of the fantasy list now, having that added ability as rushers, it really kind of has changed things. So one of the interesting things for Ryan is if you look back at 2014, passed for 4,000, approximately 4,700 yards with 28 passing touchdowns was the QB seven that season this year passes for around 4,600 yards with 26 touchdowns, but doesn't even finish as a QB one actually falls out at um, quarterback 15 in PPR per game. So it's just a really interesting shift that we have seen to your point on Roethlisberger, not feeling very confident about him. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's going to hang them up. But the thing is, like, I have to imagine that if you're Roethlisberger, you're still looking at that group of players you're having and thinking of making one more run. Of course, when they lose to the Browns for the second week in a row, maybe, uh, you know, he'll see things differently. Can we talk? I mean, this is we talked last week about Deontay Johnson. We just talked about Ben Roethlisberger. Can we talk just a second about Juju? Like, what if Juju is not bad? Okay, well, well, wait, the the one thing we have to put in context here, though, is Juju could be on a different team next year, not set to return, right? Right, and that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, you know, Roethlisberger has this group of weapons, but it almost certainly will not include Juju next year, probably won't include James Conner, you know, for whatever that's worth. Um, But, you know, Juju has 128 targets this year. Uh, Just in terms of volume, he's a significant part of that offense. You have to think that he's likely to leave just based on his performance and then based on uh, what the Steelers have done in the draft since they acquired Juju in the draft four years ago. Uh, But what if he's not bad? Like 128 targets, like that's not all that far off from like the Deontay Johnson and like people are sort of convinced that Deontay Johnson probably is good, even though he really hasn't been all that efficient, that he's probably good because he's getting so many targets. And like, if that's the case, why don't we think that might be the case for Juju who actually has had two really good seasons to his name uh, on top of the volume that he's gotten this year. And you know, like nine touchdowns, like 831 yards, like that's not great, but that's also like, that's not horrible. I don't know. I, I just I think it's possible that Juju is not the the slug that he seems to be, but it's just the offense that he's in. Well, I, I don't think it would be fair for people to really attack Juju. And, and perhaps he's not as good as it would have seemed. But to achieve what he has achieved, and I think that it's fair to remove last season. I really do, for reasons we've talked about in the past. But if you focus on what he did early when he entered the league, and yes, he was playing with Antonio Brown that helped him out, but he still showed that he could be productive. He's done it this year again. And if people are thinking that Deontay Johnson is a great player, a good player, and that there's this rookie in Chase Claypool who's looking like he could be a very 
very good player. Jury's still out on that, but there's people that were thinking that. Then this is just another example of we've seen Juju make himself a player that the team relies on. And I don't think that you really can point to a lot of stats to show that he isn't that good. So maybe he's not the best player in the league, but I'm certainly open to the fact that he's good. Like my honest opinion is Juju probably is a good player. I think that you change him or you change his situation. You get him with a quarterback that's in the prime of their career. And I think he's going to be pretty good. Okay. I mean, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, there might be some evidence that he's not good. Like 6.5 yards per target is bad. And that's basically like the, uh, the case against Deontay Johnson, who has 6.4 yards per target this year. Like you might look at both of those numbers and be like, okay, these guys are not good. Um, I mean, there's, I think potentially a case to be made, not potentially, there is a case to be made that like Juju just is not that good, but I think he's probably better than uh, maybe like the consensus opinion on him right now. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go with that. Also. I mean, I think the other thing is we've seen the yards per target progressively go down and perhaps I'm being foolish here, but I'm not sure if that's entirely reflective of just Juju or if the Steelers offense at large. I think it's how they're using him. Me too. And like you could say maybe they're using him in this way because he doesn't have talent or like because he's lost his speed or something like that. But I think it might just be like this is how they want to use him and they're using him poorly. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um Where's I going next? Uh, Dwayne Haskins. We're sticking with quarterbacks here for a little bit. Um, when he was coming out of Ohio State, I actually thought he looked like a decent prospect. Unfortunately, his NFL career has really started to trend downward. Didn't do well from a completion percentage or touchdown interception ratio. Had off the field decision make decision making issues. Clearly. Not a lot to sink your teeth into if you're an NFL franchise looking to pull in a young quarterback that perhaps could take things over for you. Do you think we've seen the end of the road for Dwayne Haskins as a starter in the league and and as a fantasy player as well? Yeah, uh, I imagine that he will get a shot as a backup, um, you know, and maybe kind of like, you know, pseudo developmental project. But uh, I don't think he's he was never really even a fantasy asset to begin with. Right. Um, and I think that's especially the case now. I just I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just the theme of the show. Like, I don't know if he's bad, like he's probably bad. But what happened last year uh, on a team that was one of the worst in the league where he had two different offensive play callers? Uh, the the second of whom Callahan uh, was basically a Neanderthal in how he wanted to run his offense with uh, a, a slow paced Adrian Peterson focused run attack uh, that like, that's not something that's going to help out a rookie quarterback. Uh, and then this year, you know, Ron Rivera as a, a defensive minded head coach who uh, you know, is also like, I wouldn't say distracted, but like has like a cancer issue that he's dealing with. Uh, it's not as if Dwayne Haskins is getting the best environment around, around him now. Like th- that also has nothing to do with the fact that like, apparently he's just like not doing what he needs to do. Like not coming into the building, like not doing the, the quarterback things that like the great quarterbacks do just in terms of like work, work ethic and preparation and leading by example. So like all of that is on Haskins, but he hasn't been set up well to succeed. No, he really, he really hasn't. And I think when you're talking about Sam Darnold, you'll hear a lot of people float out the excuses because he's attached to Adam Gase, a coach that has been memed and that people love to make fun of. But I agree with you. I don't think Haskins was set up to succeed. I don't think that we really got a view into what he could do. Not helping his situation though with the off the field stuff. Um, I guess though, you know the, can we, go ahead. Yep. Can we take a second to think about all of this a little bit more? Because we talked about Anthony Lynn and Justin Herbert. And I would say, like, Herbert, he has good players around him. So that's one thing he really has going for him. But in terms of like the coaching staff, it's not all that good. And, um, you know, I'm wondering, like, how much of it is luck? You know, like, Haskins could have been someone like Herbert if maybe he had had just better circumstances and maybe it's all just a crapshoot and you know it's all just noise and we never really know or maybe it's this situation where 
if a guy's really great, he has a chance to rise above his circumstances. And Justin Herbert is great. And he did that. And Dwayne Haskins is not great. And Sam Darnold is not great. And that's why they didn't rise above the negative circumstances they had. I don't know. I mean, I think about stuff like this a lot because I I really do think that so much of your career is made in the NFL by the team that you originally end up on for most players, right? For most players, I think that holds. But then you see players like Joe Burrow came in, was very impressive. I don't think that he had a particularly great situation this year. Um, But of course, there's going to be outliers for stuff. And I guess before we proceed down with that, what was... In comparison to what Darnold found himself with and what Haskins found himself with, do you think that Burrow had a much better set of circumstances? No, actually. I mean, he he had a really bad offensive line, one of the worst in the league. Um, a head coach that I don't think was really doing all that much to help him. It's, it's, it's hard. Like, Zach Taylor just feels like an enigma. Like, I don't know what he does. Like, I don't know how to characterize his offense. Um, it, he just seems like a sort of nothing where next year when he's fired, like two years after that, I'm, we're going to be like, who was the coach of the Bengals again when Burrow was drafted? Like, we're not going to be able to remember him at all. Like, there hasn't been anything remarkable about his tenure uh, in in Cincinnati. Um yeah, I do think that Burrow has had has had a negative situation. In part, like AJ Green, like who is probably a Hall of Famer, but at this point is also like just uh, like a, a warm body that plays at a below average uh, capacity in the NFL, uh, and like Burrow being forced basically to give AJ Green a ton of really inefficient targets in the first half of the season. Um, yeah, I don't think it was all that great of a situation for him. Yeah, so maybe what is the most likely thing, which I think just makes intuitive sense, is if you have players that are just really elite, that are just truly that much better than the average player, they're able to make things work despite their situation, and it's just the average to below average players, maybe even a little bit better than average players that just can't overcome their circumstances. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's it. I mean, I, I have a feeling that Haskins and Darnold like, are never going to overcome right. what they've had to face. Um, and, you know, honestly, like, the simplest thing is just to say, like, they, they were never going to do it. You know, like, they were not as good as everyone thought they were entering the league. Or, you know, maybe they were good prospects, but they were just never going to be able to develop. Um, I mean, like from an Occam's razor perspective, maybe that's the answer. Yeah, we'll go with it. But we are going to step away here for a quick second uh, as I tell you about uh, something really cool being done by Blue Wire. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, We'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting up from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join.
Well, it's obligatory at this point, Matt. We have to talk about Jonathan Taylor, who ends up finishing as the rookie RB2 with 17 points per game, rolled up 253 yards and two touchdowns against the Jags. Dude, what a way to finish the season. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a great bookend to the season where uh, in week one, he went against the Jags, and uh, it seemed like a perfect scenario where uh, the running back in front of him gets injured. I mean, obviously horrible for him, but a uh, season-ending injury, and you think like, oh, Jonathan Taylor is just going to totally break out. Uh, and in that game, he had, you know, 67 yards, six receptions on six targets. And, uh, you know, to this point, it had seemed like uh, his receiving ability was was the thing that would hold them back in the NFL. And so all of a sudden in week one, you think, oh, this guy can actually catch the ball and he has no running back in front of him. Uh, and then, of course, from there, he stumbled out of the gate and really didn't do much uh, for the first half of the season. And then, I mean, for the second half of the season, and especially like the past six weeks, um, man, just unbelievable what he's really been able to do. Uh, I don't know. Like, I can't remember a running back who disappointed so much. We'll say like the first 10 weeks of his rookie season, who then all of a sudden just turned it around. And in the final, like six weeks of the season, uh, just came out of nowhere to absolutely dominate like 741 yards, rushing seven touchdowns uh, on the ground in his final six games on top of that 96 yards, receiving and a touchdown on 14 receptions, uh, 16 targets. Um, I mean, he's, he's the dynasty RB one, right? Yeah. I mean, like yeah. he, he has to be. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I almost think at this point, the bigger question about Taylor is just how high should he go next year? Should he be the first guy that's behind Cook, Kamara, Barkley, Henry? Who did I leave off of that list? McCaffrey. Um, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, right? Yeah, like, it, should he be the first guy after that, whatever we want to call that, like top tier of elite backs? Let's, yeah, let's talk it out. I think at the top, you have. Uh, I think you probably have Christian McCaffrey Yep. once again. Um, I think somewhere in there, Dalvin Cook is probably number two, number three. Um, Kamara is probably in there somewhere in the conversation, anywhere from number two to number four. Uh, Saquon Barkley potentially uh, would be going in the top five. And then, yeah, Derrick Henry is in there. So those are four guys, five guys right there that are all kind of in the mix. And then, yeah, I do agree that Jonathan Taylor is, is like, I is the thing is, I don't know if he's number six. I think Jonathan Taylor, like there's an argument to be made that he's number three. Like I, I legitimately see putting him ahead of some of those guys. Like I will need to dig into it to think about this a little bit more, but you have Jonathan Taylor clearly ascending uh, just like 22 years old this upcoming year um, on an offense that, you know, who knows what's going to be happening with the quarterback position if Phillip Rivers returns, but an offense that uh, will probably be leaning on the run a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I can see Jonathan Taylor in the top three. Wow. I mean, that's definitely possible. I feel like it's going to be tough to actually sit there and do rankings and put him up that high. Um, but that's certainly possible. To, to okay, put here's in, a question. Okay, go ahead, do you think he, Do you think he plays more snaps next year than he did this year? You know, like, like does his snap right. rate increase? Um, I would say that his snap rate does increase. Yes. Yeah, I would think so too. Now, like keeping in mind what he did on a, uh, I'm looking for it now on a 48% snap rate this year, let's say it goes up to 67. Like that feels kind of fair. Yeah. Uh, if it goes up to 67, uh, and he kind of he continues to be targeted uh, at the same rate on a per snap basis, you know, roughly continues to get carries at the same rate on a per snap basis. Even if you 
bring those numbers down a little bit. Um, I mean, he could, he could have a pretty big season. Like he could have 300 carries. He could have 60 targets and he's a phenomenal athlete. And like, he would just be getting better in his second season in the NFL. Like I, I can see, I can really see how it happens. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not in any way opposed to that. It could happen. I'm just kind of thinking from a rankings perspective, but yeah, I mean, I think that we've now seen out of Taylor, all that we needed to see to say that everything people were thinking was pretty spot on might even be better due to the receiving. Like we've talked about than people thought, but I want to give a little bit more context to this. Let's say that Aaron Jones resigns with the Packers. Aaron Jones finished once again, um, I want to say in the top six, and I actually think it was six in our um, PPR per game. Yep, six in PPR per game. He's in that offense where he scores a lot of touchdowns, has been superb the last couple of seasons. Should people be drafting Jonathan Taylor ahead of Aaron Jones? Is it a big discussion? Is there no discussion to it? Where do you fall on that? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be ageist here and say there's no discussion. Jonathan Taylor should be drafted ahead of him. Like I think Aaron Jones, and I said this this year, and you know, yeah, sure, I'm wrong, but uh, I think Aaron Jones is a pretty significant liability uh, in terms of like the risk that he carries. Let's say even if he resigns with Green Bay, he could lose some work, and he's going to be 27 years old. Like in in no world am I going to want to draft a 27 year old running back uh, with a a second year guy behind him who's just like built to take his job. In no world am I going to want to take that guy over a 22-year-old Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, perfectly fair. And, and honestly, like I think, I think Jonathan Taylor at 22 would I rather have him over. I mean, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but like, I rather have him than Alvin Kamara next year, who's going to be like 26. Maybe yeah. like Alvin Kamara is going to start slowing down. Like it's the same thing with Dalvin Cook. Like how old is Dalvin Cook next year? Like he's going to be 26, 27 next year, 26. I don't know. I, I mean, at some point these guys start to break down. Yep. And so like, would I rather, I don't know. Honestly, what I would rather do is trade down. And instead <laughs> of having to take uh, Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara with the second or third pick, I would rather take, Uh, Jonathan Taylor with the sixth pick or the seventh pick. Well, you you know, the other interesting element to this is as you start talking about guys like Kamara, in addition to the age factor, we also have to worry about what happens at quarterback because we've seen how a change in quarterback can erode a lot of the value that he has. And then there's the other questions with the players behind somebody like Jones. But the situation that Taylor's in even if the team isn't passing that much, we're not, that's like the bonus for him, right? That's like the gravy. But even if he's just handling the majority of rushing work, that's what he needs to succeed. I feel like and everything on top of that is just bonus. So like, if you look at the way that his points are going to be split between rushing points and receiving points, I feel like that gives him a little bit more stability than some of these older players that have other questions around. Um, You know, the other thing is I hope that the Colts realize there were some times that they were doing pretty good on drives and then they'd they'd take Taylor out, flip Hines in, and it would kind of like break up the drive. And and I don't think we're going to see as much of that next year either. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Here's one more one more way of kind of contextualizing this. Think about Ezekiel Elliott and the years that he's had. And if before the season people had had told you like, okay, you you will prefer Jonathan Taylor a year from now to Ezekiel Elliott. You know, like people maybe would have been like, okay, I I can see it, but like I don't know, Ezekiel Elliott was like such a heralded commodity even just like 5 months ago. And at this point, like, I don't, I don't think anyone really wants Zeke, you know, and and that's like the situation now, like Zeke in his fifth year, that's the situation that Kamara and Dalvin Cook are going to be in, in, in 2021, except they're going to be a year older than Zeke was this year. And like, yep. 
you have to be a little forward thinking on this. And, and maybe at times that means you're a little too aggressive on fading some of these older guys who have had like significant workloads. But uh, I don't know, like I would just rather invest in the future instead of invest in the guys who were great last year. Right. And, and it seems to me that it's a lot less likely that you have Taylor completely falling on his face in following yeah. up his rookie season as a sophomore versus you have a situation where one of these other backs that we've mentioned hits the point in their career where they just fall off because we know when running backs fall off, they fall the hell off. Right. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. All right. So Jacksonville has some talent at the wide receiver position, mainly DJ shark, uh, LaVisca Chenault, probably the most notable on the team. Very, very good chance that Trevor Lawrence comes in to be the franchise quarterback. What do we allow this to do to their dynasty value? Um, just a little, we're going to talk a lot more about prospects. Just some quick numbers on Trevor Lawrence. I think really, though, what it comes back to with him is he was so good as a freshman, is athletic, can move on his career, 66% completion rate, 8.8 uh, yards per attempt, 90 passing touchdowns to 17 interceptions, uh, 24 touchdowns in his freshman year. He's played with a lot of very talented wide receivers that helps, but people really do view him as this absolutely tremendous prospect. Going back to the question, when we're thinking about Chark, Chenault, rested receivers on the team, and their dynasty value up until, let's even say, up until... Uh, dynasty draft start rolling around. How do you let this shape your view of them? I would probably, I think it's hard to buy Chenault because I think anyone who's had him is probably a true believer. Uh, and so I think his price will continue to escalate. Um, with Shark, um, maybe you can buy him because he had something of a down year following his thousand yard season, uh, in 2019. Um, but I think it's also not a horrible time to sell him if you aren't a believer, because there probably is someone, uh, who believes enough in him and, or Trevor Lawrence, uh, to where, like, I think the market with Shark will be roughly where it should be pretty quickly, but it, it could be a, a pretty fluid market in which, like, no one really gets ripped off or, like, is on the losing side of a trade. All right, fair enough. Uh, moving along, Ronald Jones played in 14 games, 978 yards, and 192 rushes, had seven touchdowns, 28 receptions, and one touchdown, had 59% of the rushes 28% share of team opportunities. It's going to be him and Keyshawn Vaughn for net uh, for net and McCoy unrestricted free agents heading into next season. Was this season a, su a success for Ronald Jones and what's your level of excitement for him in 2021? Assuming that you have any level of excitement. Um, I, yeah, I guess I would say, I think it was more or less a, uh, a success in that, uh, I mean, he held off, he held off other guys, you know, um, he held off Leonard Fournette, which isn't, you know, like, I don't know, it doesn't sound like a massive accomplishment, but it's enough of an accomplishment. Um, he had a better season than he had last year, more yards, more touchdowns on fewer games. Um, you know, able to hold off Keyshawn Vaughn and he still has one more season. Um, and you know, he wasn't, he wasn't nearly as good as a receiver this year as he was last year, but he still had 42 targets. Like there's still some hope that he could be, you know, moderately involved in the receiving game next year. And I don't know, like Keyshawn Vaughn looked decent in limited work, but uh, I still think Ronald Jones is clearly ahead of him. So uh, I, I don't know. I guess I'm moderately enthusiastic about Jones next year. Most of that has to do with uh, the offense that he's in, but um, I don't know. He, he hasn't done anything over the past two seasons, I think, to really disappoint you know 5.1 yards per carry this year 4.2 yards per carry last year like not not a great statistic uh in terms of you know like it's predictiveness but um the the point is like he's not a slug like he he certainly has the ability uh game in and game out to produce i feel like one of your new new terms is slug is it yeah have you been reading um 
you know, some Harry I, Potter I, books I, with uh, Professor Slughorn. No, that's funny. No, uh, I don't. I don't recall using that term, but uh, maybe it's just something that's there uh, that just kind of uh, seeps through. I don't know. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess in fairness, I think it was only two times this episode. I just never heard you use it before, so I felt like inquiring. Who Who else did I refer to as a slug? Uh, I think you were. I think it was when we were talking about Juju and uh, Deontay Johnson. You may have oh, said yes. maybe Juju. one of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I realized after I drafted this question that uh, this player is an unrestricted free agent, which kind of changes the... The question, because yes, he's going to get attention as a result of that, I would imagine. But I feel like Allen Robinson quietly finished as the 13th wide receiver in points per game, had 1,250 receiving yards with six in the air yards, three in targets. Didn't really get, I just didn't see as many people talking about him a lot, getting excited about him as much as I would have expected. We've talked before about how this poor guy has played with such a terrible group of quarterbacks that might be part of it. I was going to ask you, Matt, is he a wide receiver in one in 2020? But then I remembered we don't know where he's going to play, which kind of muddies up the question. Do you remember Josh Howard, who is a basketball player for the Dallas Mavericks way back in the day, like in the 2000s? You probably don't. Yeah, probably not. No, no real reason to remember him, except like he was he was sort of like the guy who for maybe like two to three years got talked about routinely as like, oh, Josh Howard is so underrated. Like he's so undervalued. And he got talked about in that context so much that he, I think eventually kind of became overrated for his underratedness. And that's where I think we kind of are with Allen Robinson to, to where like, I don't think he's a real number one receiver, but he's gotten so much volume uh, that for the past two years, we basically have to talk about him as if he's a real number one receiver. Um, But like, that's, that's not really, I don't think that's accurate. You know what I mean? So uh, if he goes to another team next year, maybe it's a good situation for him because it's a better offense. He can score more touchdowns. Maybe the targets he gets are more efficient because they're from better quarterbacks. But I think it's very likely he's going to have fewer targets. Like, I don't think it's likely that he ends up being like, wasn't he top three in targets this year? Top three in targets last year. Like, I don't think he's going to be top three in targets again next year. So uh, wherever he goes, it's probably going to be something of a of a downgrade because he's not going to be targeted with as much intensity. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he was three in targets this season, uh, four in targets last season. Sticking in the division with another unrestricted free agent in Kenny Galladay, played just five games, was a wide receiver two and four of those games, held catchless on four targets in week eight, which ended his season. Pretty much a disaster for people that drafted him. There's no question that his ADP will dip, assuming that he doesn't end up in one of these high-profile situations. Does it make sense, do you think, Matt, that we should see a pretty drastic dip in his ADP? Um I'll also note, too, that pretty much all of Detroit's wide receivers are unrestricted free agents, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe they bring him back. Yeah, he he might end up getting the franchise tag or or something like that, um, which I think would kind of be a negative situation because I don't think he wants to be in Detroit. Um, but, okay, I think it makes sense for his ADP to dip a little bit because he will be going to a new team and, you know, uh, Stefan Diggs aside, we normally see, I guess DeAndre Hopkins aside too, we normally see guys struggle uh, or, or take a little bit uh, of a, a decline when they go to a new team uh, as an undrafted free agent or sorry, as a free agent or uh, via trade. But um I don't know. Like we're still, we're talking about a wide receiver who's a little bit older going to be 28, but it's still like, I think within the, the prime window. So he should still be fairly productive. Um, I don't think there's anything 
with his injury that signals uh, like a long-term drop-off, like something that should impact him in 2021. Um, He had a thousand yards in 2018, uh, almost 1200 yards in 2019. And I mean, you can't you know, like fully extrapolate just four games, but in his four full games this year, he had 338 yards, you know, like when healthy, he still looked like basically the guy who was one of the top 12 wide receivers in the league the year before. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm probably going to be like, I'm going to be very interested in where his ADP shakes out because if it is below wide receiver 24, I will probably be buying like pretty heavily. Yeah. My thought was, I think that we're going to see him dip into the wide receiver two grouping. I'm pretty confident in that. And then I think that you have a player that's going to be drafted as a wide receiver two who has pretty good potential of being a wide receiver one has shown that he can do it. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of question marks until we know more about that situation. Um, But I do think it's possible that the ADP dips to a point where you're looking at uh, Kenny Galladay as a guy that might make sense on a lot of teams. Final question for you, Matt. Dallas Goddard versus Noah Fant. Who do you rank higher in Dynasty? I think still Dallas Goddard um, because it's not as if he's all that much older than Noah Fant, uh, just going to be 26 next year. He's had pretty good seasons um, back-to-back. Actually had more yards this year uh, per game than he had last year, although I think most people would say that his 2019 season was better. Um, but 2020 was still pretty good for him. And, you know, next year, you know, I'm assuming he has Jalen Hurts as his quarterback, and I think that's probably a positive development. Uh There's a chance that Zach Ertz is not on the team next year, which means, uh, I mean, Goddard could have like the entire job. He could just get a world of targets coming his way. Uh, Whereas with Fant, he's always going to have to be competing with Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, maybe even Tim Patrick or like Cortland Sutton returning, you know, like Fant is going to be competing for targets with other guys on his team. Um, Whereas Goddard really could have, like he could be the number one receiver on his team. Like he could have the job because like Jalen Rager, I don't, I don't know if he really deserves more targets than Goddard. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, like he might be gone Deshaun Jackson. I mean, like who knows if that guy's <laughs> around next year, like Goddard could be the guy. All right. But what if um, the Eagles turn things over to Nate Sudfeld? That's, that's funny, but uh, that's not going to happen. Okay. Because Sutfield, Sutfield I think, is a, is a free agent. So he will be moving on. Oh, okay. All right. I, I didn't know if he had impressed enough in the tryout to merit uh, some serious consideration in this for next year. But um, all right. Well, you never know. You <laughs> yeah. never know. Maybe they just decide to tank the season. Yeah, maybe they do. All right. So next week, um, Sam Wallace will be coming on with Matt and I to talk about rookie wide receivers. So be ready for that. There's going to be a lot to talk about Jalen Rager included. Um I actually did have one more one more thing to leave here with Matt. Um, give me your biggest update of wild or biggest not update, excuse me, biggest upset from Wild Card Weekend. Admittedly, though, I'm not sure that there's really any that I would consider huge upsets, unless you throw uh, out something. Well, I guess it depends on your answer. What What do you mean? Like, what am I anticipating will be the biggest upset? Yeah, yeah. If you had to pick, if you're looking at the set of games. And I, and I ask you to, I, I tell you, you have to give me the game. That's going to be the biggest upset. What are you going to say? Like, what do you think? This question sucks. So let me ask it like this. Of these games that will be played this weekend. Yeah. Give me the one that you think is most likely to end in an upset, but I don't want it to be between a four and a five or not. A, excuse me. I meant, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. I love, I'm going to just sort of take the heart of your question yeah go for and, it and uh apply it in whatever way i want <laughs> okay. um I, I think but this is uh this is a big one i like the washington football team they are at home but they are eight eight and a half point underdogs to the tampa bay buccaneers uh i think the football team uh has a real chance to win this game um all right that's so, what i was looking for all right yeah. yep 
So, you know, like you have Tom Brady on the road playing in cold weather and playing past his bedtime. We, we once again have the, <laughs> like the, the prime time narrative of Tom Brady having to play, uh, past his bedtime, which like it's, it's a real thing with Brady. Like he openly says, like he tries to go to bed around eight 30 and he's basically playing at eight 30, you know? So uh, not a good situation for him. Uh, the football team, you know, their defense is potentially good enough. You know, like they have a very good pass rush. Um, their, their secondary is probably better than people think. Um, they don't mess up a lot. And, you know, like Alex Smith is just like a kind of like, quote unquote, like professional quarterback, you know, like, I don't know, like I could see how I could see how it works. And in the Buccaneers, uh, as good as they are on defense, they will probably once again be without their number one cornerback in Carlton Davis. And, uh, you know, he's the guy who typically shadows opposing number one receivers. He's he's best when matched up with, you know, like big bodied guys uh, like Terry McLaurin. Uh, and without him, you know, like there's there's a chance, you know, like we could we could see. We, I don't know. I, we could see the upset. Like, it probably won't happen, but I could see how it happens. All right, you heard it first. Matt Friedman, the Washington football team, going to the Super Bowl. That does it. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. good. That Thank good. you. Yeah. Thank you. All right, uh, that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to uh, Blue Wire. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.